Hello and welcome. I'm Sophie Kilvert and today I'm joined by Himanshu Bindal and Ollie Boats from our investment team. I'll be talking to them about how some of the companies that we invest in have fared over the last few months and also what they think the future might hold for them. Now, I'm very aware that we've used the word unprecedented quite a lot over the last two months, but these really have been circumstances that we've not seen before. The economy has been deliberately disrupted and slowed by the authorities to try and prevent the spread of a disease. So it's a situation where it's hard to look back and try and use historical precedent because we really just haven't seen it. Himanshu, how did the investment team cope with this? What were you looking for from the companies that we invest in in order to really help protect the wealth of our clients? Sophie, so we normally invest in businesses that have stood the test of time and businesses that we believe will be sustainable over the long term. And uh, as soon as we realize that this crisis is really unprecedented and which requires slightly different kind of analysis, we went about it in a very structured way. And thinking about businesses, first thinking about uh, what is the survivability of different businesses and then thinking about what the long term impact on earnings can be. So for that process, we categorize the businesses into three categories, thinking thinking of this as uh, the storm impact of a storm damage. Uh, we, we categorize the businesses that were most at at risk from this as the businesses that are in the eye of the storm. And then there are some other businesses which are much less impacted by this and very much are at the periphery, uh, which are not. And uh, then there is the middle category where there is some impact from the storm, but not necessarily. They're not necessarily in the in the center of the damage. And then from there, we we contacted our companies and we, you know, focus a lot on balance sheet analysis to to understand the ability to survive survive out this pandemic and then from there on we thought about what the long-term impact on the businesses can be how the drivers for their for different businesses change or could change driven by this uh, situation and do we undertake obviously we talk to the companies that that we invest in do we also undertake more other rigorous tests like stress tests or that sort of thing for them yes indeed so we did go through uh, scenario analysis and we built number of scenarios where we try to judge what the impact will be on different businesses. For example, for some of the businesses that are in the eye of the storm, uh, such as Middleby, we have assumed very significant revenue declines, even more than 50, 60 percent. And then for some other businesses, there is much less impact. And, you know, for example, uh, cable companies or rating agencies for them, it's mostly business as usual. And we built those scenarios. And uh, as a result of those scenarios, we are comfortable that all of our businesses can can survive, uh, survive what the what the situation throws at them for a significant period of time. So this storm analogy that I find that a very interesting way to, to look at things and, and how you've divided um, the companies that, that we invest in up, that makes a lot of sense. Ollie, which businesses fall into that eye of the storm category? Yeah, so it, it's an interesting question and a, a multi-layered one, right? Because on the face of it, although, um, because on the face of it, for almost all of our portfolio companies, the immediate impact of the pandemic on their day-to-day operations has been relatively limited. If anything, the core functions of the rating agencies, banks, insurers, industrial gas providers, 
payment uh, payment networks and and um, cable businesses that we own has become even more important in this environment. But so for the most part, what we actually really mean by storm isn't the pandemic itself, but the economic consequences of it. And the extent of those are, of course, as yet unknown. But if the early macro data is anything to go by, then we're looking at a pretty significant recession. So although the financials we own, like Wells and Lloyds, and to a lesser extent, Amex, uh, have been open for business throughout the lockdown, their exposure to the consumer and small business credit risk and sensitivity to interest rates puts them closer to the eye of the storm within the portfolio. Likewise, um, although Ashdead's rental business and Deere's non-agricultural equipment manufacturing division um, have both been deemed essential businesses and um, so operating fully, they'll doubtless suffer from a slowdown in residential construction. Um, And then, of course, right in the eye of the storm, uh, there are two businesses uh, that we own where COVID-19's had an immediate and severe negative operational impact. Uh, the first is Middleby, with its concentrated exposure to the restaurant and hospitality sector, which has been devastated by the lockdown. And then the most obvious is our airline holding, Ryanair, who have seen its planes almost completely grounded since late March. Yes, Ryanair, obviously an interesting one. I mean, it's a company that we're used to talking about with clients. It, people obviously see it in the portfolios, and it's one that, that does raise some eyebrows. Uh, it's obviously a company also that's used to being in the headlines a lot. Um, obviously, that's thanks in part to its outspoken CEO, Michael O'Leary. And I have to say, uh, the last few weeks have been no different. He's been popping up all over the place on the news um, with no shortage of opinions. So how actually has Ryanair been faring? Yeah, well, there's no putting any gloss on it. Um, You know, a complete network shutdown is brutal for an airline business. Mm. And so Ryanair um, are guiding to a drop in Q1 traffic of 99.5% and believe that will result in an operating loss of about 100 million for the quarter. Uh, But despite that, you know, we are very comfortable in the company's ability to survive the the worst that coronavirus could sort of feasibly throw at it. So going into the crisis, Ryanair had four billion euros of cash on hand, long, long dated and very covenant light financing. And most importantly, the lowest operating cost base in the industry. And so, you know, as Hamanshi mentioned, uh, we've been rigorously stress testing uh, the business and its balance sheet for a variety of scenarios, and even under our most conservative assumptions about things like fare refunds, fuel hedging liabilities, our stress testing indicates that the company can endure well over a year of complete network shutdown with just the cash it has today. Um, and then, should it require, and then beyond that, should it require additional financing, then Ryanair has the ability, we believe, to access you know nearly or in excess of. 7 billion euros of additional capital uh, on account of the 327 uh, relatively young Boeing, um, aircraft, uh, Boeing aircraft that it that it owns outright on its balance sheet. Um, and so, okay, this, you know, doesn't sound like much, much comfort. The idea that a business that we own can, can survive, we want them to thrive. And mm. so with that in mind, it's really important to put Ryanair's loss rate 
and liquidity profile that we just talked through in context of its sector. So last week, Air France came out and reported that their quarterly loss um, or their Q1 quarterly loss was 1.8 billion euros. Lufthansa um, reported a quarterly loss of 1.2 billion euros and EasyJet have just been guiding for a quarterly cash burn of 1.2 billion sterling. Um, all of them have had to access emergency funding from um, from their governments. And then we've seen already a spate of bankruptcies amongst smaller regional players. And you know, this, uh, without wanting to sound too brutalist about it, is where we see COVID for Ryanair as being a case of short-term pain, but long-term gain. So although a prolonged network shutdown will be painful for the company, it will likely be fatal for many of its competitors who've entered the crisis with considerably higher cost bases and greater leverage. And as such, you know, coronavirus is serving to accelerate the consolidation of the intra-European short haul market. Um, and so when European airspace eventually reopens, we believe that Ryanair will occupy a larger share of a more rational and uh, so much more valuable market. And this is a process of, um, this is a process that we saw occur in the US post the financial crisis. And that's something that's been immensely value accretive for investors in the surviving airlines over the subsequent decade, where you know, if you'd held the best performing United between 08 and 19, you would have made 15 times your money. And, you know, the comparative laggard, the worst performing of the set American, you would have quadrupled your investment. So you're saying there's a big difference between the European markets and, and the U.S. markets at the moment, because we saw just a couple of weeks ago um, with Warren Buffett selling his U.S. airline shares. Um, yeah, we're still very happy holding Ryanair. Is that the difference between the U.S. and, and the European market? Yeah. Certainly, you, you hit the nail on the head. That is one of the key reasons that we don't see uh, Buffett's bear case on his airline holdings applying at this side of the Atlantic, namely that you know the U.S. market is already very, very consolidated. So the four players that he owned, American, United, Delta, and Southwest, they, occup- they account for just over 80% of the U.S. market. Now, if you look to Europe, um, airlines with less than 10% market share account for almost half of uh, intra-European short-haul volumes. And so there's not nearly as much scope for the sector to see sharp capacity reductions on the back of bankruptcies um, within that sort of fragmented tail of regional players. Uh, in the U.S. as there is in the EU. But there's another key uh, difference as well, which is that all of the major U.S. airlines have very, very similar cost structures. And so, as such, investing in any one of them is effectively a a macro bet on the wider supply-demand dynamics in the U.S. market. Our investment case for Ryanair, however, is not nearly as, or it's it's largely unsystematic, right? So it is underpinned by our assessment of the structural competitive advantage that that specific company boasts um, on account of its significant operating cost advantage versus its competitors. 
So, you know, Ryanair is at the moment just 15 or so percent of the European market, and its average fares are 34% lower than its next closest competitor and more than 200% lower than the sector average. So even if we see a significant fall in intra-European traffic, we believe that Ryanair is still able to sustain profitable growth through market share gains on the back of those, those significant competitive advantages. So obviously we're, we're happy when we look at Ryanair and we look at its balance sheet um, and we look at its competitive position uh, in, in the European market. But I, it's also for you important to understand what the businesses have been up to in this period and how they've reacted to it. Um, have Ryanair been good at communicating with us um, and, and what, they've been, what, have they, what have they been doing? Yeah, so um, they've been very effective. We're, we're fortunate to have a, a strong relationship with the Ryanair management team. We've been long-term shareholders. And um, as you mentioned, uh, Michael O'Leary is vocal at the best of times. <laughs> um, so we've been in close communication with them. We uh, have been incredibly impressed um, with the speed of their response to um, to this crisis and the effectiveness with which they've managed to shutter their operations, take costs out, um, and reduce their sort of cash outflowings to a to a bare minimum. And you know, this is um, this is sort of what we'd expect from from a high quality management team that we really really rate, uh, despite some of their eccentricities. Um, you know, and we're very fortunate to have. As custodians of our investment, you know, a core team around uh, Michael O'Leary and the core team around him, who have been at the helm of this airline, um, you know, through 9/11, through the financial crisis, through the Icelandic volcano shutdown, the European debt crisis, and everything in between, and themselves are very heavily invested in the stock and very well aligned with us. And I know there were some complaints. Um, Amongst investors uh, in uh, last summer, where about um, a, a pretty sizable options compensation package, um, when Michael O'Leary restructured, or when Michael O'Leary's re- compensation was restructured. However, I think it's worth highlighting in against this backdrop that you know that cuts both ways, right? And we've seen um, O'Leary and his his top team participate very much in the downside as well as potential upside, with them having taken a 50% pay cut um, for the remainder of this of this financial year, uh, having also, by the way, seen a 50% base pay cut as part of that options deal um, the previous summer. And yet this compares uh, very favorably to um, the management of a lot of their peers who are in far worse financial and operational uh, shape. So, for example, at Lufthansa, EasyJet, Wiz, IAG and Air France, you haven't seen executive pay cuts in excess of, well, I think the, the deepest pay cuts have been 25% and, and a couple haven't seen any. So it sounds like despite the challenging time that Ryanair are having right in the eye of the storm uh, with this reduced travel, we can have confidence in that business for the future. Um, if we maybe look to the companies that, in theory, should be having an easier time, Himanshu, can I ask you about some of those companies? Which of the businesses in the portfolio have fared better? 
Yeah, Sophie. So some of the businesses, uh, you know, that have done that have uh, done reasonably well, even through the crisis would be like our cable companies in the US, Comcast, Cable One, Charter, in terms of business performance, our rating agency exposure, um, Moody's and S&P continue to rate bonds and their business seems to be less impacted, as well as our holding in uh, companies like uh, MasterCard or Linde, the, uh, where there is some impact, however, nothing, you know, the, the, the impact is very limited as compared to something like uh, Ryanair. So what have, for example, what have the cable companies been up to? Obviously, um, they should be in a, in a reasonably good position in the U.S. at the moment. Yes. So cable companies uh, are obviously, you know, are are a very central link in our lives right now. So the, let me explain. Cable companies are equivalents of sort of the British Telecom or Virgin Media in the UK, and they mm. supply the broadband connectivity, most importantly, as well as voice and uh, and video, the television service to households in the in the US. And as we all know, broadband right now is only second to oxygen. And mm. if you can afford to keep your broadband connection today, uh, there's no reason that you would want to go and uh, want to let it go. And this is that's sort of the most important, uh, most important sort of umbilical cord to the rest of the world. Uh, in terms of kind of how people are behaving, uh, the net, the cable networks are currently seeing a lot more traffic. The data demand has significantly increased. And while it always used to be high during the during the prime time, the evening periods of seven to nine or ten p.m., that demand has stretched out throughout the day. However, the good news is that the cable networks are responding very well to it because they are built for built for growth, built for ever growing consumer demand, and they have uh, they have been able to take that demand and serve it very effectively, and provide people the very important connectivity that they need. In, in these times where they can't, they're not mobile and they cannot go out and, and, and work as usual, especially as people continue to work from home and also, you know, provide homeschooling to their kids. And if and when they have downtime, even the entertainment options, everything is through broadband and cable companies uh, have managed to serve their customers very well for those requirements and through this turbulent period. And what have they been up to in terms of have they been reducing um, the the cost for people who are finding it difficult, or have they been very much focusing on the profits during this period? Yeah, that, that's a that's a very good question, Sophie. Uh, for all the companies that we invest in, we would we want them to be positive forces in the environment that they operate in. We want to we want them to be a positive force for their customers, for their employees, for their communities. And cable companies have very much been part of that positive story during this crisis. And these companies have uh, have been part of the FCC's Connect America pledge, where they have pledged to not disconnect customers for uh, non-payment for their services during this crisis. Also, the cable companies, all three of them, Charter, Comcast, and uh, Cable One, have introduced free or extremely cheap plans for broadband connectivity for eligible families so that there's no form, no family in their footprint without an internet connection and without the option to homeschool their kids or being able to work from home if they can and uh, and that has been that has been really appreciated by their customer base and they are seeing good uptake of these kind of services mm-hmm. on the other side we do think in second quarter there can be 
you know, that the, the small and medium businesses that are taking up these sort of payment forbearance options, uh, the, it might lead to in terms of impact, it might lead to higher bad debts or customer disconnects. However, we expect any such impacts at this stage to be immaterial to, to the long term prospects of these businesses. So they're very much sort of focusing on the long term at the moment. Is it is it apart from what we might see, as you say, later on in the year? Is it all is the rest of it a good news story for cable companies or is there bad news le- lurking in the background as well? So there is a there is a little bit of difference between the three cable companies, especially between Comcast and Charter and Cable One. The Comcast also owns entertainment business NBC Universal, where the main part of the business is like you know producing TV programs, and they own channels like NBC and MSNBC and USA, and uh, where it, it's all about entertainment. They also own theme parks, you know. Most people are probably familiar with Universal theme parks, and they have uh, several movies, most famous franchises being Fast and Furious or Minions. And what the pandemic has meant and the the social distancing has meant for Comcast is that all of their production is shut down, their theme parks are closed, and uh, people are not going to watch movies in theaters. And so these are likely to have some more impact on Comcast as compared to charter or cable one so there is a little bit of a difference there and but we do believe that in the long term comcast has uh, has a very solid sort of cash flow generation ability as well as a as well as a solid balance sheet to be able to withstand these short term impacts and be able to come out stronger on the other end of it uh, even for the other two cable companies uh, charter and cable one while the prospects seem very good and they seem to be weathering the crisis very well, uh, Sophie, our motto is uh, to be forever vigilant about the companies that we invest in and we continue to monitor these holdings very carefully. That's really interesting that you say that. I think that's certainly what I've got from this discussion with you both, that while different companies that we own will behave in different ways depending on what situation they have to face, obviously Ryanair is finding it a lot more difficult than some of the cable companies. The way that you and the investment team look through that and look for the long term uh, and look at the fundamentals of the companies and really understand them um, is certainly why I think the portfolios will, will be successful in the future. So thank you very much for your time, Himanshu and Oli. That's been really interesting to talk to you. Uh, and I appreciate some of the insights that you've given us. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.